You're listening to Talking Sense. We chat with experts about those need-to-know topics to help millennials get ahead. We ask the dumb questions. It's a platform to learn a little about a lot. and welcome to another episode of Talking Sense. And today we're interviewing Dr. Neil Carrington and he is the CEO of Act for Kids. How you going, Neil? Good morning. Feeling great. Feeling great. Good to be here. So, Neil, before we get started, do you want to just tell everyone what Act for Kids is? Okay, so Act for Kids is a national charity based in Australia and our focus is the prevention and treatment of child abuse and neglect. So we don't think it's too much to ask that all kids have a happy and safe childhood and uh, we work to both prevent through our education programs but also treat uh, abuse and neglect. That means putting little lives back together, giving them a second chance at childhood. And sometimes people say to me, well, that must be a pretty difficult job, a bit of a dark job. And I said, no way in the world. I've got the best job in the world because every day I get to wake up and change kids' lives for the better. How good is that? Awesome. That is what fulfillment is about, you know, success and fulfillment. We're always looking for both of those. Sounds like you have a very fulfilling job. What I understand is that you have more than one role. So you're the CEO of Act for Kids, but you also do public speaking and leadership courses to raise money for Act for Kids. Mm. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. So one of the things that I have done for some time before I joined Act for Kids was work as a leadership consultant. It always troubles me sometimes because there's lots of consultants out there. And uh, I don't know whether you've heard the term Seagull uh, Consulting. And basically, Seagull Consultants come into your organization, squawk, flap around, make a lot of noise, uh, defecate everywhere, and then steal your chips. Uh, So I've worked uh, in a very different um, mode of operation. And uh, I I would say to all your listeners out there, next time you're working with a so-called leadership expert, ask them what they've actually led. Because leading people is the toughest job in town. Um, Human beings are complex little organisms and they don't uh, behave in predictable ways. So one of the things I specialize is going into organizations and helping them understand about leadership and management, about working in teams and about organizational culture. And you're right, it's it's like a second job because uh, all of my speaking fees, all of my consulting fees uh, go directly back to Act for Kids. And over the last uh, bit over eight years, um, that's meant I've been able to hand back over around $2.7 million. Wow. It's incredible. Yeah, it incredible. I read that on in your bio and I thought how else could you raise so much money so it's awesome that you can provide such a great service to people and then which has so much value in it and give that money back it's yeah. Incredible. Well, it, it's important because one of the things, you know, people say to me, Neil, you run a not-for-profit? And I say, no, I run a not-for-loss, for-purpose organization. And, and they kind of laugh at me and I go, no, I'm deadly serious because we have to do everything that an ASX-listed company like, you know, BHP does. Yeah. Uh, the only thing that we don't do is hand back profits to shareholders. When we, we generate income, that enables us to see more kids. And I'm really proud to be able to say to you that uh, this financial year just gone, we were able to help seven percent more kids than we did last year. Yeah. That means over 40,000 kids we got to help. Uh, we've got a great business model. Everything we do is free of charge. Uh, we don't have any government handouts. We do work with governments for sure. And we don't have any religious affiliation. So that's a tough space to work in. So we have to be very careful with our dollars and cents. And I mean, that's the theme of your show is understanding the, the importance of, of the money side of things. Uh, but you can't deliver on your mission. You can't deliver on your purpose unless you've got the, the money 
margins right. Yeah, right. So today you're going to be chatting to us about how to lead the life you want rather than managing it um, and a few things to do with that. But first, we might just do our financial five as always to get the episode sure. going. So Neil, private or public health? I think uh, having worked uh, in the health sector for six years, I'd have to say private health, definitely. <laughs> okay. Retail or self-managed super? I'm going to get a little bit different. I think you should look at industry funds right. because I don't think they have the overheads and I think their motivations mm-hmm. are different. Property, do you consider it an investment tool or just for your home? Look, I think property is an absolute investment tool. I think we're, we're wedded to the idea of the family home. I think more of us should be rent vesting, which is renting a house and buying another and gearing that. Mm-hmm. And shares, self-managed or managed portfolio? Look, I think um, you should probably have a blend. I think uh, too many people think they're experts in the share market. I think you should look at some uh, listed investment companies. Have a look at FGX and FGG. Uh, those those two funds actually uh, are, are free of any excess charges and then they give 1% back to charity base, which is pretty cool. Right, very cool. And lastly, cash money, term deposit or high interest online account? Yeah, look, that's a great question. I think it's highly contextual. It's about where you are in your career, what's your tolerance for risk, um, and I think you probably need to look at that you know, entirely on the context that you're in at that point in time. Not avoiding the question, but <laughs> yeah. certainly getting, you know, when you're yeah. closer to retirement, your tolerance for risk will be less. Yeah, definitely. When, when you're bright and you're young and you, you go ahead like you guys are, then you're probably you, you're more risk tolerant. Yeah, great. Just on the in the, uh, listed investment company, so Neil mentioned FGG and FGX, and we are hoping to have the CEO of FGG, Louise Wells, on our show in a few weeks' time. So have a look at that company. It is really interesting what listed companies do and especially how this company gives back to charity as well. So we'll go further into that in a few weeks, which would be excellent. But anyway, over to you, Neil. Talking Sense is all about helping people get ahead. And traditionally, we look at topics like tax and finance and super. But we understand that there's more to getting ahead and making the most of your life, not just with money. So today we're focusing more on how to live the life you want to live. And this is a topic that you're an expert on. So delve in. What do you, how do you teach people? What do you, what lessons do you go with? Sure. So I'm very privileged in that I get to work as an executive coach and um, a couple of my clients are ASX listed CEOs. And one of the things that usually CEOs want to do is achieve more work-life balance. And the first thing is I pounce on that and correct that phrase. And I said, look, it's important to have life balance. Work is a component of your life. It shouldn't be half your life. And so that then prompts a number of questions. And I usually then go back and ask, are you leading your life or are you managing your life? Most people I come across are event managing their life. Let me give you a really practical example. If we're sitting beside the river uh, having a picnic and we noticed a young child in the river drowning and in trouble, hey, we jump in and we get that little bubby out of the water, we resuscitate them and we'd say, what a terrible event that was. How great that we could save that bub. We just go back to our picnics and next minute another child comes down the river. Goodness me. In we go again, bring that bubby out and next minute another and another. Now being smart people, we'd probably say, we've got a pattern of behaviour here. Let's develop a system to deal with these drowning kids. So, you know, I'd say to you, you get in there and get them out. Hey, you're pretty good at resuscitation. You start the <laughs> resuscitation process. Um, look, you're very good at writing for grants and, and you know something about education. Let's let's get this an accredited course uh, at the local university, maybe a, a, a diploma of paediatric resuscitation. We'll get a government grant. We'll build a re- 
resuscitation facility, we will save more kids this year than we did last year. Now, you're looking, both looking at me now and going, Neil, you're a knucklehead. Um, <laughs> why don't you go upstream and see where these kids are coming from? Yeah. Now, when you go upstream, guess what you find? You find a childcare centre. Maybe it's an ABC childcare centre, maybe <laughs> not. Uh, and the gate is broken and the kids are plopping in the water. Now, it's a metaphor, but you know what? It's a metaphor for how many people run their personal lives, they run their business lives, they run their investment portfolios. They are in event management. They're kind of just getting through the day. Mm. Now, we've all had a day where we're driving home and we go, wow, I'm glad that day's over. That was a tough day. If that's happening, happening every day, then I would challenge you, you need to go further. You need to actually get more leadership leverage. And what I mean by leadership leverage is it's about what's the vision that you have for your life. Now, vision, some people think, oh, that's something you write on a piece of paper and stick on the wall. I'm saying to your listeners, your vision is what do you really want? And when I ask people that question, sometimes I get a blank stare. Quite often I go, oh, I want lots of money. And I say, yes, and what would that bring you? Well, I could do whatever I want, okay, and what would that look like? And I keep like a cracked record asking that question. And eventually people get stuck because they don't know what they really want. Most of us are making things up as we go along. Now, getting this, so that sounds pretty simple. Oh, all I need to do, Neil, is, is sit down and think about what I really want and write a vision. Well, it's a bit more complex than that. What you have to do, sure, do that, but you have to understand this important concept called mental models. And mental models are your values, your beliefs, your assumptions. And they're pretty important because they drive everything that you do. They'll choose your partner. They'll choose your job. They'll choose your investment priorities, just like those questions that you asked me. Mm -hmm. But most of us are what I call deliciously delusional about what our own mental models are, what our own values, what our own beliefs, and what our own assumptions are. So that's where the work has to be be done. Let me give you a really practical example. I mean, you're sitting here look at me, looking at me. You can see that um, you know, I might need to do something about my weight. And most people have done something about their weight at some point in their life. They say, that's it. I'm going to lose some weight, usually around January the 1st. And they say, right, I'm going for a run. So they start with an event and they quickly work out, well, hang on a minute. I better run every day. So they run every day and the weight comes off and they're very happy, but then it comes back on. So they get very frustrated. So then they say, oh, I know. I need a system and structure to deal with this. So they go off to see Jenny Craig, they get light and easy in, they get a chart on the wall, the weight comes off, but then it comes back on. And most people get very frustrated about this because they say, you know, why is this happening? Two things. They haven't been clear what they really want, but the big one is they have not changed their values, their beliefs, and their attitudes around food, exercise, and lifestyle. Right. And I'd say to your listeners, you know, if they're thinking, let's say, and the focus of your program is about dollars and cents, uh, most people are making up things as they go along. They haven't got clarity about what it is that they really want. They don't know what their real values are, their real beliefs, and their real assumptions are. And, and believe me, these things are incredibly resistant to change. That's why people have trouble, you know, losing weight. Yeah. Um, for example, I spend half my life in the Qantas Lounge where there's free food and alcohol and I have the willpower of a gnat. So um, I, I want to do something about my weight. So I have a vision. I have a. I, I really want to stay in a healthy weight range. I want to exercise regularly, um, you know, have three or four alcohol-free days a week and so on. So recently, uh, Kay McGrath, who's the Channel 7 newsreader here in Queensland, 
Uh, she rings me up and she says, Neil, I've got you an interview on the Today Breakfast Show up at Noosa. And I said, oh, that's wonderful, Kay. She said, they want to talk about your work for, with Act for Kids. I said, what's the deal? She said, well, you need to be there at 7 o'clock. Uh, you'll go into makeup and then go on screen at some time at 7.30. I said, wonderful, Kay. So, you know, Noosa's two hours drive from Brisbane, so I got up at some ungodly hour, drove up to um, uh, Noosa. Now, I naively assumed breakfast breakfast show, there would be breakfast involved. <laughs> I got there, not a cornflake or coffee in sight. I went into makeup. It took around 45 minutes, not sure why, something about a good head for radio. Um <laughs> Went in, did the interview. They all, all gave me a hug and waved goodbye. I still haven't seen a sausage, okay? I'm starving. I drive back to Brisbane to do a presentation to the Banking Association. So I ordered something from the bistro and I said, could I have a round of uh, toasted chicken and avocado, but I don't want the chips. And the, and the little man behind said, but it comes with chips. I said, I don't want the chips. Ten minutes later, it comes back with the chips. So I said to myself, I have a new mental model. I have a new idea about weight and exercise. I don't need those chips. But these chips were those big beer batter fries. Okay. Some of these chips Hard had to a, resist. That's right. Some of these chips had a postcode. So I thought, I'll have one chip. I had a chip. It was a good chip. But there were a lot of chips. And I was finishing my sandwich and I had a second chip. After I had the second chip, I pushed the plate away. And it was very difficult to push the plate away. You know why? Because I had a set of mental models that were telling me I shouldn't eat that. But then I had some other mental models, other values and beliefs that were running deep. And you know what they were saying to me? There are starving children in Africa. Yeah, don't waste the food. Don't waste the food. You need to eat everything on your plate. So I'm telling you this story for two reasons. Firstly, mental models, our values, beliefs, and attitudes are very resistant to change. Secondly, my therapist said if I disclose more in public forums, it'll help. Be <laughs> <laughs> able to keep yourself accountable. Excel- absolutely, oh, because that, that's what I mean yeah. in, when I say people are delusional mm. because we, we have this self-talk. You know, yeah. we talk to ourselves all the time, don't yes. we? Everywhere we go, there we are. So we tend to hang around ourselves quite a bit. So you have to get a deep understanding of what your values, beliefs and assumptions are. Right. And believe me, most of us, and my hands in the air, have some pretty kooky ones. And if we don't work on those mental models, they have the ability to cause great harm to us, both you know physically, mentally, but also financially. If we if we haven't got the right values and beliefs about our investment strategies, about our attitudes to security and so on, they can get us in a lot of trouble. Yeah. So do you think um, when we're talking about what young people's values might be, it can come from their parents? So I know some of my friends, you know, you might talk about like, oh, would you ever buy in the share market? And some of them dislike the share market so much because it's just like, no, I would never... My parents said bad things about the market. And so is that a, what, a value you think? And so do people have these opinions already about finances and they're not willing to change because it's sort of ingrained in them? Is that sort of when you talk about values? And- Absolutely. It's a great a great analogy that you use there. And, and we, we get into the old nature-nurture debate. I mean, how much are you a function of your parents? How much are you a function of your environment that you've been brought up in? How much are you a function of the experiences that you've had? Um, the You know, the, there's heaps of research studies around this and it's, it's an amalgam there's no doubt there's some DNA imprinting um, but then we're also if we're brought up in those household with the parents that were you know who have um given birth to us, then obviously we're influenced by their attitudes. But that can be either negatively or positively. You know, if you've had a a father, for example, who's lost a lot of money in the share market, then there's going to be an aversion to that. Mm. I would say to your listeners, you need to be what's called a disciplined eclectic. 
Now, when I say a disciplined eclectic, it means you need to do different things in different situations uh, and not be trapped in just one mental model. And, uh, you know, I would encourage all of you folks listening in here, you know, don't just listen to me or don't just listen to that expert. Try and listen to a wide range of people. Uh, Keep a healthy skepticism, not a negativity, but a healthy skepticism, and then make your own judgments, but make informed judgments. Don't get trapped in just a single mode of thought. Yeah, right. Because I think often we are trying and telling people, you know, there's all these different methods out there. And, yeah, there is a thing about, you know, well, just because one person said that doesn't mean that it's the right way. And that's true. Mm. But I like that healthy skepticism. skepticism. Be inquisitive. Want to learn more. So, yeah, investigate yourself. Learn a little bit. Well, what good researchers do is they try and prove themselves wrong. So let's say you were trying to find a cure for a you know a difficult disease like cancer or uh, Alzheimer's or whatever. You might have a theory, but then you try and prove that theory wrong. Because if you if you actually have an attitude, what most of us do is just convince ourselves how right we are. You know, if you think, oh, I think now's the time to invest in the, the stock market, or now's the time to invest in real estate. There's a trap, and it and it's called confirmation bias. Is we go out there and we only read the articles, we only read the research that tell us that we are indeed geniuses yeah so that's why we need a balanced view of the world and that that's why i love that phrase disciplined eclectic i like that yeah definitely very very good so how do we go about getting ourselves into that mental mode that we that we want to be in well i think the the important thing is is to continue to be a learner yeah. Um, I think at any point in your life, if you say, well, I pretty much know all I need to know now, you know, then you're in big trouble. Uh, and you have to keep a, an open mind, an inquiring mind, a, a healthily skeptical mind to what people are telling you and try and understand what their motivations are. But I, I'd go back to this visioning exercise. So, you know, a classic example would be, you know, most people sit down and say, right, I'm going to write a vision for myself. Well, that's kind of a big matzo ball to take on. But there's probably six or seven major demands. So you might say, well, what's my vision for my career? Where do I want to be in three or five years' time? Because quite often when I'm coaching people, let's say it might be a deputy principal of a school, I say, what do you really want? And they say, oh, I want to be a principal. And I go, why is that? And, and they get a bit stuck, and it's because that's the next step. So they're on what I call a pattern of behavior. They haven't thought deeply. So career, get a sense of you know what's your, your, your vision for your career. What's your vision for your health? You know, how do you want to actually look after your body? We only get the one. And and most people, it's not until they get unwell that they think, hey, this is pretty important, my health. So what's your vision in that dimension? What's your vision for significant key relationships, either partners, friends, family? Who are the people that you want in your life? And and, and what sort of time access? Because time's an interesting thing. Here's, here's something to, that'll mess with your head. The next time you say, I haven't got time, say it's not important to me. Now, if that sits, that means your priorities are probably right. If it makes you squirm a little bit, you might want to look at your priorities. Mm-hmm. Now, I stress, don't actually say that phrase out loud because <laughs> it could it's be very important to me. Yeah, it could be very career limiting and it could be very relationship limiting yeah. at home. But it's a good one to sort of just recalibrate because we only get 168 Definitely. hours a week, and what fries most people's heads is we get about 30,000 days right on this planet. So I'm in my 50s. That means I've spent about 18. Days. I've got 12,000 left. Be asleep for 4,000 of those. Be eating rice. 
rice pudding for the last two. <laughs> so I've got about 891 Saturdays left. Oh. So we have, you know, if I say that in a workshop, sometimes people pack up their equipment and leave. Yeah. Because they, it disequilibriates them because they think they're coming back again. This is it. And that's why I'm, that's why I'm really emphasizing with your listeners is you actually need to be laser-like in your focus. So we've talked about a vision for your career. We've talked about a vision for your your health, your relationships, a vision for your finances. What do you really want? Because a lot of people say, I want a lot of money. And you've all heard the phrase, you know, more money doesn't bring happiness. No, it doesn't. So you have to actually work out how much do you need to be, you know, to live the life that you want, not managing your life. The other dimension is your physical environment. Where do you want to live? You know, what, what do you aspire to? And where do you want to live? And the other thing I think that's really important to develop a vision is the intrapersonal your self-talk because most of your listeners out there would suffer badly from what's called fraud syndrome. Now, if you don't know what fraud syndrome is, it's the sensation that I'm going to get found out one day. I don't know all these things that I'm supposed to know. <laughs> if you just me and Caitlin. Look, <laughs> find it. And it's great that you're, here, you're, you're prepared to say that because that tells me you're a normal person. If you've never had fraud syndrome, you're probably an arrogant pain in the bum and nobody wants to work with you. Um, if you have it every second of the day, then you you know, you're a big lump of jelly and you can't move forward. We have to keep the needle in the zone. So what I would say to, to, to leaders and aspiring leaders is be high on self-belief. Believe in yourself, but be even higher on self-awareness. Be committed to self-awareness. Because if you have the re- reverse, if you have people that are high on self-belief and low on self-awareness, they're a danger to shipping. They're a danger to you. They're a danger to others. So don't fall into that delicious delusion trap. Be, be absolutely passionate about you know continuing to grow your self-awareness and, and the people listening to this program are already on that journey they're mm-hmm. saying you know what I don't know all the stuff that I need to know yet I'm on a journey and I'm learning you know I've done five degrees I would go back again if, if I could I'm continually learning because that's how we grow and we, we can actually start to lead the life that we want yeah. yes Five degrees, Neil. That's a lot of study. <laughs> uh, well, I think I've just got a passion for learning. Yes. Yeah, yep. absolute yep. passion for learning. And um, I've been very fortunate to win some scholarships. I've also done some, you know, postgraduate programs at both Harvard and London Business School, which I was very privileged to do. And, you know, like most things in life, it's not just the, the course content, it's the people that you interact with. Because one of my favorite phrases is, you're the same today, except for the books you read and the people that you meet or the podcasts that you listen to. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, I think that's so true, isn't it? You know, you think about who you are and what, why you are the person that you are. And it's amalgam of all those experiences, learning experiences from, from people, but also reading, you know, be a passionate reader. Mm-hmm. And so another thing that you are quite experienced with is working with teams. And mm-hmm. so a lot of our listeners would be working in teams. I don't imagine there would be many people that would work by themselves we have to interact with people all the, all the time. So maybe we can just quickly talk about how you can make the most out of working in a team and succeed in that, and that will probably help you in your career. Sure. So if I, if I start working with a senior executive and I say, look, is your team always in agreement? And if they say, oh, yes, Neil, they're always in agreement, I'd say you're in trouble. Um, that's a big flashing red light. Now, I'm not a weirdo. I don't come to work, have a stretch, and go looking forward to some conflict today. <laughs> um, but you know what? Conflict and disagreement are a natural part of you know relationships, whether they're personal or professional. So what you need to create is a, is an organisational culture where people can disagree but not be disagreeable. 
and and the way that I explain that to people is understand the difference between agreement and alignment. So let's say we three are a team and we're trying to make a strategic decision in our business or maybe it's an investment. Maybe we're thinking about do we go into real estate, you know, do we go into the share portfolios or do we play safe and go term deposits. Now, I might take opinions from everyone in the room and I'm, and I'm the leader of this team, you know, and, and um, Caitlin's arguing passionately about real estate and, and uh, you know, Rachel's saying, no, no, shares at the time. And I'm thinking, no, nah, look, I think we need to go cautious here with the, the stock market and, and uh, the American situation. Now, we're all different. We're disagreeing. But you know what? If, I'm, if I was the team leader of Made a Call, guys, we're going term investment. That's when the discussion's over. I now need you to align behind that decision so that you need to verbalize, you know what? I don't agree with that decision, but I will align behind that decision. And that is absolutely fundamental to developing powerful teams. You know what? It works at home as well with your yeah, partner. I think that's a, I'm going to use that one, yeah. I think, actually. And if aligned. You, I, I align with that. Yeah. yeah. Well, if you're not having a, a disagreement with your partner, then to me, you're in a beige relationship, you know? I, I've been married 35 years and I've been intrigued by these people I see pop up on the news and they say, oh, we've been married for 40 years and haven't had a crossword. What the hell have you been talking about? <laughs> or you haven't probably been talking. Yes. Yeah. It's not what I call an authentic relationship. Yeah. And one of the things that we need to do in our personal lives is have authentic relationships and, and a part of that's removing fear so that people have the courage to disagree. And I, when someone disagrees with, with me, I thank them. You know, don't punish them. Thank them mm. because they're usually doing you a favor and it shows you that they have trust. Yeah. They have trust in you. I once had a woman come up to me at a conference. She said, Neil, I want to buy you a beer. And I said, sounds like a good idea to me. I said, why is that? And she said, well, I've changed the way that I finish my team meetings. We now finish them by saying, are we just in agreement or are we in alignment, which is code for if, we, if we're not clear – we need to sort it out now before we walk out that, that door yeah. because you have to be aligned in life, you know, with the people, significant people around you because you're not aligned. Look, look at these knucklehead politicians, what we do when they're not aligned. We vote them out of office. Yeah. Yeah. So probably for people listening, we're more likely to be the team members rather than the team leader maybe at this stage but that might change but it's important to remember that whilst if someone might not agree with you but yeah it's, that's where you need to be the person aligning yeah absolutely and you need yeah, particularly if you're a junior member or you're, you're beginning to work in a team you need a level of what's called political astuteness you know you've got to read the organisational culture and you can't just run in there and boots and all if you, if, you, if you haven't been there long or you're not a senior person and you know what you're going to work with a whole range of knuckleheads over, over your career and what you need to do is work on your own spheres of influence. You can't change people, okay? You can influence people. And you know what? Sometimes you're going to be in a position where it's not so good. So you have to work on where's your sphere of influence and focus in on that. Be clear what you can't change and leave it alone. Uh, too many people are time travelers. They spend too much time going back and going, I wish I would have done that mm. and I should have done this. Or they try and travel into the future. Oh, I wonder about that and I'm worried about this. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be planning ahead and you shouldn't be reflecting on the past, but unless you're Doctor Who, you haven't got a time machine. So be very focused on the now and what are the things that you can do to try and uh, develop a vision for the life that you want to lead, both personally and professionally. Going back into the teams, um, you mentioned organizational culture. So that would have a big impact on how your team works, I assume. 
Yeah, look, people quite people quite often ask me, you know, what's organisational culture? And I say, look, it's about how we do things around here, but there's another tagline there when no one's looking. Okay, because we can all be on our best behaviour when the boss is around or other people are watching us. But what do we do when no one else is around? That will tell you something about the organisational culture. If we look what happened in the Australian cricket team recently with the sandpaper incident, I was alarmed to read some press reports where people say, well, what were they thinking? You know, of course they were going to get caught. No, it's got nothing to do about being caught. It just shouldn't have happened. It's just illegal. It's immoral. Do not pass go. And I think that tells you that there was something rotten in that culture. I recently had an experience. I was going to climb a mountain to raise some money for Acra Kids. So I was in here about 6 o'clock in the morning. I heard somebody rattling around in the kitchen at about quarter past 6. And most of our staff don't arrive till 7. And I went out and there's my most senior staff member, a lady called Dr. Lyons, PhD, MBA, world expert in abuse and neglect. She's doing the dishes. And I said, Katrina, I thought you were on the Gold Coast today. She said, yes, I'm on my way to the Gold Coast, but I was on kitchen roster today. I'm just doing the dishes. And I thought, what a great example of how we do things around here. Yeah. Because she, she didn't think anyone would be watching. She's got in to do the dishes. Now, you might think that's a small story. But you know what? That's what defines our culture. It's what we do, but it's also what we don't do. And that applies to our personal lives as well. That involves to our investment decisions and so on. And that's why I come back to that term, mental models. You really need to get in touch with that. If you want to do any more reading on that, uh, read a book by Peter Senge. That's S-E-N-G-E. And it's called The Fifth Discipline. Uh, there's a textbook and a field book. I would get encourage you to go to the field book because it has it's far better written and if you google peter Senge, um the fifth discipline there's some very good executive summaries online as well okay awesome it's so interesting just having a think about why we do some things sometimes i think often i know particularly for me i'm just so hot-headed i'm like yes i want to learn i want to do things i want to keep going but it's nice just to take a bit to yeah, take time a step to reflect to work out yeah what what is important to you absolutely and, and write it down rachel you know that's what most people if they're working in an organization now i will bet you the organization has a strategic plan there will be a written document mapping out the future of that organization most people do not have any sense of a personal vision they're kind of making stuff up up as they go along they're sort of bumbling through and investment uh you know the focus of your audio blog here is very much sometimes people are just making things up as they go along they're jumping from here to there so that's why i would come back to again get a very clear picture a very clear vision of what it is that you really want and write that down and it is absolutely amazing how that starts to evolve and happen because we've got a clarity and a focus and an alignment towards those goals i think also if you're trying to save with a partner but writing it down keeps you both accountable and makes you sure that you're on the same page and absolutely yeah so i I remember when i was studying uh ancient history at school i was about 15 or 16 just a few years ago just (laughs) the saturday before last yes and i had a passion for egypt i came from a very poor um background and i said to myself i'm going to egypt and I remember cutting out a picture of the pyramids, sticking it on my fridge, starting a lawn mine business at 15, putting myself through university, and I got to sail down the Nile. 
that's what I'm talking about, about laser-like focus. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I come back to my work here in Act for Kids. We are laser-like. Uh, we don't think it's too much to ask that all Australian kids have a happy and safe childhood. And that's why I've got the most privileged job in the world. Yeah. So people should be quite specific in what they want to achieve and be upfront that it might be difficult, but it's not impossible. And there's nothing lame about having a vision board or, you know, having goals and achieving them or anything like that. You should just get out there and give it a good old Aussie crack. And, yeah, and absolutely. And, and, and you know what? Sometimes it doesn't always work out and you might have to pick yourself back up at the canvas. You might need to recalibrate that vision. Um, well, I think what people would be, are surprised about when, and this is what pay, people pay me to do as an executive coach, that's so much fun, is they are ex- absolutely blown away at how it actually starts to happen and evolve. Because it, if you write things down, it rapidly improves the chances of them happening. A really simple example, when you go to the supermarket and you make a little list, you've got a better chance of coming home with the milk <laughs> than just arriving at the supermarket. That's yeah? a great, great analogy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, very true. Awesome. Well, that's probably all the time we have today for our segments. But if anyone has any further thoughts or questions for Dr. Carrington, just send them in and we can always come back and visit Neil again. Thank you so much for your time. You're incredibly busy, so we really appreciate it. Yeah, very inspiring what you do. Uh, Well, I'm in the privileged position where I get to choose who I work with and what I do because I get so many requests and I was more than happy to accept your request because (laughs) it's so exciting to to see two young professional women with a passion and a drive, you know, getting off their backsides and having a go. So best best wishes to you. Thanks Thanks very much. much.